0: I've been bothered by my weight most of my life. As a child, I was heavy, a condition which my mother euphemistically described as being big-boned. I was so obsessed with the fear of being fat that even when I thinned out in my adolescence, I didn't think of myself as thin. I'm no longer thin, and I'm still bothered. I'm not alone. According to some estimates, 45 million Americans go on a diet each year. In our weight-conscious culture, you'd think that we would have a greater sensitivity to the sin that the Bible calls gluttony. The truth is, most of us wouldn't recognize a glutton if he swallowed us whole. We certainly wouldn't be able to tell whether we're gluttons, and the mirror will not help us. That's because gluttony isn't really about one's weight. Gluttony is essentially a sin of inordinate appetite. The ancients measured gluttony by the amount of food one consumed. The Christian ascetics viewed hunger as both a virtue and a tool. They seemed to have believed that it was better to be hungry than to be full. They thought that hunger and thirst could be employed to bring all the bodily passions into submission. Most moderns don't think that consumption of either food or drink belongs in the category of sin. We are, however, willing to admit that people have psychological problems in these areas. In the 20th century, the church's perspective on eating changed from the ancient practice of fasting for the spirit to the modern habit of dieting for health. Gluttony isn't a matter of body size, it is a sin of consumption. Gluttony is to food what lust is to sex. Gluttony distorts and magnifies bodily appetite until appetite becomes an end in itself. Food, drink, and indeed all the ordinary bodily appetites are part of God's design. But what exactly is His design for our hunger? Functionally, appetite is a means to an end. Proverbs 16.26 says, The appetite of laborers works for them, their hunger drives them on. This proverb echoes Genesis 3.17-19 where the link between toil and eating is a consequence of sin. But the proverb reveals the complementary benefit that comes from this connection. Hunger is a motivator that drives us to work. We work because we do not want to go hungry. Hunger also motivates us to take in the sustenance we require for life. But similar to the curse of Genesis, hunger has two sides. Like work, hunger existed before the fall. As was the case with the first temptation, Ordinary hunger can be a gateway to inordinate appetite. Part of the appeal of the forbidden fruit was that it was good for food. Sin has the same effect on all our bodily appetites. Hunger can be a motivation, but it can also be a master. Just as sin distorted God's design for work by introducing an element of drudgery into its execution, our hunger can make us slaves. Slavery to food can take many forms. For some, this bondage expresses itself in a variety of eating disorders. Binge eating, starvation, and binge eating followed by purging are destructive coping methods for dealing with perfectionism and low self-esteem, often related to body image. By eating or not eating, those with eating disorders attempt to heal themselves or make themselves feel better. Food plays an increasingly larger role until it becomes the central focus of life. For others, bondage to food is reflected in an unhealthy, almost paralyzing fussiness when it comes to eating. In Paul's day, this was usually a result of misguided religious conviction. In 1 Timothy 4.3, the apostle warns that the last days will be marked by false teachers who demand that their followers live an ascetic lifestyle. They will forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. Likewise, in Colossians 2.21, he speaks of those whose rule of life was comprised mainly of prohibitive regulations which he summarizes in three commands, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. According to the apostle, a combination of ignorance and pride fueled this bankrupt approach to spirituality. Those who adopted its practices thought that they could obtain eternal life by keeping traditions that focused on things that are all destined to perish with use. Today's culinary aesthetes are more liable to be driven by a political and social agenda than a religious one, but their spirit is the same. Righteousness is not a matter of one's dietary preferences. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. In an affluent culture like ours, eating is not just a necessity, it is also a form of recreation. This leads to another type of bondage when it comes to food. Some people are fussy about what they eat because they scorn simple fare. Every meal must be a grand experience. These people view their food the way others look at their possessions. Only the rarest and most expensive will do. The problem is not that they eat good food, but that they view ordinary food along with those who eat it with contempt. Their diet is a symptom of greed and pride. They are addicted not to food, but to luxury. In the book of Revelation, this is the fair of the great core of Babylon. Does this mean that it's a sin to enjoy our food? Are we acting unchristianly if we eat a meal at an expensive restaurant? The Bible teaches that the enjoyment of food is a gift from God. One of the ways God shows his love to the world at large is by supplying us with food. Acts 14.17 says, Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. The mistake of gluttony is the error of thinking that appetite is the gateway to satisfaction. In reality, it is the opposite. Hunger by its very nature can never be entirely satisfied. Ecclesiastes 6.7 observes, Everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. Satisfy your hunger with a meal now, and a few hours later that hunger will return. There's nothing to be done about it. When eating becomes an end in itself, it turns into a kind of slavery. Gluttony conflates desire with satisfaction, expecting more from food than it can supply. The glutton doesn't eat to live, but lives to eat. In reality, our appetites are merely signposts, which point to a hunger that cannot be filled by any human means. They point out our emptiness and our need for God. When we look to earthly means to fully and finally satisfy ourselves, we become those whose God is their stomach. Jesus' perspective on eating was personal and practical. Scripture says that Jesus came eating and drinking. He taught the church to ask for daily bread in the Lord's Prayer. Ordinary food played an important role in Jesus' ministry, just as bread was a central image in his teaching. The connection between food and Jesus' ministry shouldn't surprise us. He lived in a culture in which worship and eating were connected. Jesus made communal eating a part of the sacred life of the church. At the same time, Jesus taught that life is more than food. Food is necessary for life, but it is not life itself. We do not live by bread alone. Life is more than food, just as the body is more than clothing. Food is necessary for life, but it is not synonymous with life. The power of Jesus' teaching on this matter is grounded in his assumption that food is needful. We need to eat. But when we conflate life with the means we rely upon to sustain that life, we set the table for idolatry. It doesn't have to be food. We can rely upon our health, or our finances, or even clothing. Like the Israelites who worshiped the bronze serpent that Moses held up in the wilderness, we forget that our life does not come from the things that God uses to sustain it. How then do we deal with gluttony? The primary method the Bible prescribes is self-denial. When you sit to dine with a ruler, note well what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony, the writer of Proverbs warns. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. Self-denial is not an end in itself. By practicing self-denial, we discover how God supplies all that we truly need. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but food is an important part of our earthly life. Eating has played a vital role in the worship as well as the ordinary fellowship of the church, and it will continue to be a part of our experience in the life to come. As important as food is, it was never meant to be an end in itself. The basic rule when it comes to our eating is the same rule that guides us in all of life. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God.